Chapters five and six of The Basket of Flowers by Christoph von Schmid. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen in February two thousand and twelve. Chapter five The Trial. Early in the morning, and almost before she was awake, an officer came to Mary's cell to bring her forth for trial. At the side of the room in which the court was held, she trembled, and her fears returned. Sitting in a large scarlet chair was the judge. Before him a clerk stood at an enormous table covered with papers. A number of questions were put to Mary, to all of which she answered truthfully. She found it impossible to keep back her tears, but persisted in declaring her innocence of the crime. "'It is useless to try to make me believe this,' said the judge. You were the only one to enter the room where the ring was. No one but you could have taken it. You had better acknowledge the truth. It is the truth I speak now, replied Mary. I cannot speak anything else. I have not seen the ring. Indeed, I have not. The ring was in your hands, continued the judge. Have you anything to say now? Mary declared that this was impossible. Turning to his side... The judge rang a little bell, and Amelia's maid, Juliet, was brought in. In the fit of jealousy which she had felt because of the dress given to Mary, and in her anxiety to deprive Mary of her mistress's favor, Juliet had said to one or two people that she had seen Mary take the ring. In consequence of this statement, Juliet was now summoned as a witness and fearful to be caught in a lie, she determined to maintain it even in a court of justice. When the judge warned her to declare the truth before God, she felt her heart beat quickly, and her knees tremble. But this wicked girl obeyed neither the voice of the judge nor the voice of her own conscience. If, said she to herself, I acknowledge now that I told a lie, then I shall be driven away. Perhaps I may even be imprisoned. Determined to carry out her part, she turned to Mary and said insultingly, You have the ring. I saw you with it. Mary heard this false charge with horror, but she did not allow passion to get the upper hand. Her only reply was, and her tears almost choked her while she said it, It is not true. You did not see me with the ring. How can you tell so terrible a falsehood for the sake of ruining me, when I never have injured you? At the sight of Mary, Juliet's feelings of hatred and jealousy revived. She repeated the falsehood with new circumstances and details, after which she was dismissed by the judge. Mary, you are convicted, said he. All the circumstances are against you. The chambermaid of the young countess saw the ring in your hand. Tell me now, what have you done with it? In vain Mary protested her innocence. According to the cruel custom of those days, the judge now sent her to be whipped until the blood came, in the effort to make her confess her guilt. The punishment made poor Mary scream with pain, but she continued to declare her innocence. Suffering great agony, she was finally thrown into her prison again. Her bed of straw was hard, 
her wounds gave her great pain, and half the night she spent without sleeping, groaning and praying to God. The next day she was brought again before the court. The severity of the law had failed to wring any confession from her. The judge now tried to make her confess by adopting a mild tone and by holding out promises. "'You have incurred the penalty of death,' said he, "'but if you confess where the ring is, nothing will be done to you. Think well before you answer, for your choice is between life and death.' Still, Mary protested that she had nothing more to confess. The judge now tried to move her by her love for her father. "'If you persist in concealing the truth,' he said, "'if you are careless of your own life, you will at least spare that of your old father. Would you see his head, whitened by age, cut off by the sword of justice? Who but he could have induced you to tell a falsehood so obstinately? Are you ignorant that his life, as well as yours, is at stake?' This was a new thought to Mary, and terrified at the threat, she nearly fainted. "'Confess,' said the judge, "'that you have taken the ring. A single word, say yes, and your life and that of your father are saved.' It was a great temptation, and a terrible trial to Mary. Satan suggested that she should say, "'I took the ring, but I lost it on the road.' "'No!' she thought again. No, I must stick to the truth. Let it cost what it will. Not even to save my own or my father's life will I depart from the truth. I will obey God rather than man, and trust him for the rest. In a clear but tremulous voice, she then answered, If I say I had the ring, it would be a lie. And though this falsehood would save my life, I cannot utter it. But, she entreated, if life is demanded, spare at least the white hairs of my loved father. I should be glad to shed my blood for him. Her words touched the hearts of all the people in the court. Even the judge, for all his severity, was deeply moved. But he remained silent, and giving the signal, Mary was taken back to prison. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 A Painful Meeting Not for a long time had the judge been so perplexed as he was over Mary's case. For three days, he said, it has been before us, and we have not made the least advance towards the solution of the mystery. If I could see any possibility of the ring having been taken by anyone else, I should certainly believe this girl innocent. But the evidence is so clear against her that it is impossible to believe anything else. The countess was again examined and questioned thoroughly, the minutest circumstances being inquired into. Juliet was also examined again. A whole day was spent by the judge in going over their testimony, and weighing against it the words that Mary had uttered in her examination. It was late at night when the judge sent to the prison for Mary's father to be brought to his house. James, 
said he kindly. I am known, perhaps, as a strict man, but I do not think that you can reproach me with ever having intentionally injured anyone. I do not need to tell you that I do not desire the death of your daughter. All the details of the case, however, prove that she must have committed the theft, and under these circumstances you are aware that the penalty which the law requires is death. But your daughter is young, and notwithstanding the serious nature of the crime, if she were to return the ring even now, a pardon might be granted to her. To persist so obstinately in denying her guilt will most certainly end in her death. Go to her, James, insist upon her returning the ring, and I give you my word that the penalty of death will not be visited upon her, but a mere trifling punishment substituted. As her father, you have great power over her. If you cannot obtain a confession, most people will think that you have been in accomplice with your daughter in the crime. Once more, I repeat, if the ring is not found, I pity your case. My daughter has not stolen the ring, replied James sadly. Of that I am sure. That she will not therefore acknowledge her guilt, I know beforehand. But I will speak to her as you desire. I will employ every means to find it out, and if it be that she is to perish, notwithstanding her innocence, it is a comfort to know that I can see her once again before the terrible event. Accompanied by an officer, the old man went to the prison where Mary was confined. The officer set a lamp upon a projection of the wall in a corner of the cell, on which also stood an earthen pitcher of water. Mary was lying on her straw bed, with her face turned towards the wall, partially asleep. The light of the lamp woke her from her troubled slumber, and turning over and seeing her father, she uttered a cry of joy and raised herself hastily, forgetting her chains. Almost fainting, she threw herself upon her father's neck, and the old man sat down with her upon her bed, and pressed her in his arms. For some time they both remained silent, and mingled their tears together. At length James broke the silence, and began to speak as the judge had instructed him. "'Oh, my father,' said Mary, in a reproachful voice, interrupting him, "'Surely you at least do not doubt my innocence.' "'Alas!' she continued, weeping bitterly. "'Is there no one who believes me innocent? "'No one, not even my father? "'Oh, my dear father, believe me that I am innocent!' "'Calm yourself, my dear child. "'I believe you entirely. "'I am only doing now what I have been instructed to do by the judge.' There was a silence for a little while in the cell. The old man looked at his daughter, and saw her cheeks pale and hollow with grief, her eyes red and swollen with weeping, and her hair hanging disheveled about her. "'My dear child,' he said, "'God has suffered you to be tried very severely, but I fear lest there should be a worse trial to come, more painful sufferings than any you have yet undergone. Alas!' Perhaps even my dear child's head may fall by the hands of the executioner. My father, said Mary soothingly, I care but little for myself, but for you. Fear nothing for me, my dear Mary, said her father. 
I run no risk. Oh, cried Mary, thank God, if that is the case, a great load is taken off my heart. For myself all is well. Be sure, my dear father, I fear not to die. I shall go to God. I shall find my Savior. I shall also see my mother in heaven. That will be a great happiness. Deeply moved at his daughter's words, the old man wept like a child. Well, God be praised, said he, clasping his aged hands together. God be praised for your submissive spirit. It is very hard for a man stricken in years, for a tender father to lose his only child, the child of his love, his only consolation, the joy of his old age and his last support. But, he continued, may the will of the Lord be done. One word, said he, a moment afterwards. Juliet has sworn falsely against you. On her oath, she has declared that she saw the ring in your hands. If you perish, you will perish by her testimony. But you will pardon her, my Mary? Is it not so? You do not take with you any feeling of hatred towards her? Alas, even upon this bed of straw and loaded with chains, you are still more happy than she is, living in the Countess's palace and dressed in fine clothes, and with everything that her heart can desire. It is better to die innocent than to live dishonored. Pardon her, my child, as thy Savior pardoned his enemies on the cross. Do you pardon her? the old man asked anxiously. Mary assured her father that she did, and now the officer was heard coming to separate them. Well, said her father, I commend you to God and his grace. If I should not see you again, if this is the last time that I am permitted to talk with you, my daughter, at least be sure that I will not be long in following you to heaven. You may depend upon it, that I shall not long survive this parting. The time was now up, and warned by the officer, the old man prepared to take his departure. Mary clung to him with all her strength, but her father was obliged to disengage himself as gently as he could and Mary fell insensible upon her bed. As soon as James was brought before the judge, he raised his hands to heaven and cried out, almost beside himself, My daughter is innocent. The judge was deeply moved. I am disposed, he said, for my own part to believe it. Unfortunately, I must judge the case from the nature of the testimony with impartiality and even to the utmost rigor of the law. End of chapter 6